0: Your identity, your purpose, the reason why you're here has absolutely nothing to do with your accomplishments. Our identity is wrapped up in what Jesus has done for us. And because of what Jesus has done, that is our motivation to move forward, to do things for His glory and for the good of other people. It's not because there's a title or a perk or an increase at the end of it.
1: Well, hey there. If we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. And oh my goodness, I'm so – Uh, and just honestly amped to share this conversation with you today. Uh, That's because it's a conversation with Michelle Myers and Summer Phoebus. Now, you may recognize the name Michelle Myers because she's been a guest on this podcast previously. She's someone that I got to meet a couple years ago and is just a friend of mine and a communicator and a leader that I deeply, deeply respect and admire. And when we reached out to her for a second conversation, she said, oh yeah, let me bring Summer on as well because her and Summer just released a book that is titled uh, by the same name that they titled their business and the community that they've built, which is She Works His Way. Here's the thing that I want you to know about Summer and Michelle is that they have a gift for communicating God's truth in a manner that's practical, but does not in any way compromise its substance and its power. And truly, they bring a really, really deep and profound application to the biblical principles that maybe even we've believed and heard before. But here's what I'll tell you before we enter into this conversation. I always say that you do not have to believe what we believe in order to listen to this podcast, but we're also not going to ignore what we believe. And so, Our faith as followers of Jesus Christ is imbued throughout this conversation. But if you don't believe that, that's okay. And it's probably a good thing that we can have a conversation and spend time with you and we don't have to agree on everything. That's actually a really good and healthy thing. What I will tell you is look for the principles that transcend your particular religion or faith because they are truly scattered throughout this episode. Now, before we jumped into the actual practicality of what's in their book and what's in the way that they view leadership and business as people who are not just teachers, but also practitioners, I want you to hear a little bit about their background. I want you to hear a little bit about the story behind She Works His Way.
2: A long time ago. (laughs) years ago, Michelle and I met, she actually, my dad was her boss in Fort Worth, Texas at seminary. She was in seminary and my husband was in seminary. And so we met there and we were in different seasons of life. I had two little girls. I was married. Michelle, I think you that's where she met James, her husband. So we met, we liked each other, but it didn't go that much further. After that, we came back around through the beautiful world of facebook and business working together got to know each other and in that place really got to start having conversations that are the same conversations we're having today in she works this way and it started out actually with michelle and myself and two of our friends emily and liz who are both on the she works this way team now meeting in a google hangout at 5 a.m. Not cute, super not cute. Um, (laughs) But we started having these conversations about what it meant to be a woman who worked God's way. And the height of these conversations started during the height of the personal development. Like that's where everybody was going. The books, the conferences the YouTube, the everything of just making sure we were constantly working on our craft, getting better. And the personal development, wasn't, it wasn't bad. We actually, all four of us bonded on the fact that we enjoyed it. We liked it. We wanted to be challenged. We were all four ambitious women who sort of felt on the outskirts of what most women should be, throw into the mix. Michelle and I are both pastor's wives. So all of that just Business is what we loved, though. So we were kind of, I don't want to call it an identity crisis. It was a tension that we were all feeling. And this tension brought us together talking through what personal development was. And truly, I think the conversation started with okay, let's acknowledge that these are great tools, incredible tools, terrible foundation terrible place to build from, but beautiful tools. And how do we hold each other accountable to not getting sucked into that? Because we so naturally wanted to be the best at what we did. We wanted to do it with excellence. We loved God. But at this point in time, I think we had sort of been taught or conditioned to compartmentalize. So She Works His Way was the first place we came together and said, it's okay to be the way you are as a woman who's ambitious, who is called to work, who is called to business, who believes that that is a part of your calling, as long as it's not separate from who we were created to be as daughters of God.
1: Gosh, I uh, I just love that story. Uh, and I, I've heard that story before from you, Michelle, and it just stands out to me that it's almost like y'all are a product of the product. It's not like you set out to create a business. It sounds, at least the way Summer told this story, it sounds like you created something just because you needed it. Yes. Uh, and that was the original goal. Is that fair to say?
0: That was the singular goal. There was <laughs> There was no thought of this being, we were working women. We already had a job. So there was no sense of we're dissatisfied where we are or we want... To start another endeavor, it was just a, we need this for ourselves. And that it went on with just the four of us for about 18 months. And then we started inviting other women into the conversation. And every evolution of She Works His Way that has ever occurred has been out of a conviction to go deeper and just listening to the needs that were presented. That sounds like a really loosey-goosey strategy, but... It it was the strategy of we're going to listen and we're going to respond.
1: Gosh, I love that. Uh, yeah, it's it's so funny. And you kind of talk about this in the book, too. It's like this is not the way any business consultant would ever advise you to start something. But it's it's worked out outrageously well. And, and God's blessing has been all over it. And you all have been faithful along the way. I would love to know, thinking back to those first 18 months where it wasn't a business, it was just a 5 a.m. Google Hangout, for both of you individually, what do you think was the biggest thing that you got from those first 18 months? Whether it was a mindset shift or something that you got from the community, what was it that you received uh, from those sessions in that first year and a half or so?
0: I think I realized how I had been made to feel isolated when in actuality, I just wasn't inviting community into the struggles that I was having in feeling the tension between my faith and my work. And so as soon as I would voice something and then almost like kind of bracing yourself for what the response or the judgment or the criticism or the what is going to follow but seeing the relief in their eyes and we still see this now where we'll talk about the tension and you can physically because we do all of our meetings where you can see people's faces and like you can literally watch their shoulders drop Mm. and you can watch them like lean in like You mean to tell me that I'm not the only one that has felt this way, that I'm not the only one that recognizes the flaw in this? I'm not the. And so just that voice, giving God's truth the primary voice to speak over the tension Mm -hmm. was such a beautiful calm over the 18 months that I think is what made us say it was looking four women in the eye that lived in different places that worked in in different locations that were in different seasons of life that God was doing the same thing in because he was being our unifier. Mm -hmm. And we get to do that now and it's more than four, but it still happens. We still see it. And there's more industries represented and more women represented and more seasons and more experience levels. But it's just this unity and relief that comes when there is a audible voice given to the truth that God has said in his word that addresses the tension that we all feel. Mm-hmm.
1: Gosh, that's so good. That's so powerful. And and my hope is that people, um, although maybe they haven't been a part of your community, my hope is that like when you experience something like that, you're like, I get it. Mm-hmm. And you when you aren't experiencing something like that, you're also like, I get it. I that's what I'm missing. So I Summer, I'd love to hear from you like what stands out about that first 18 months to you.
2: Yeah, it's it's everything that she said. But then it was this constant reminder that we needed. It has only gotten louder in the world. It has only gotten more noisy. And the amount of information that comes directly to our eyes and ears on a daily basis is just absolutely insane. And we can't just leave. It would be great to just pack it up and say, I'm overwhelmed and I just need to go hide for a second. So I'm going to unplug. But if you work... If you have people that you leave that you're responsible for, you can't just up and leave. So you have to figure out how to receive this information, but not make it your little G God. So these 5 a.m. meetings were a weekly reminder of what was the most important thing of the, it's okay to love what you do and to be good at what you do. And it's not a prerequisite to idolize it. It actually, in fact, will just send you down the wrong path every single time. So it wasn't like we were getting together and one of us would say something and we were like, oh my gosh, I never thought about putting God first. I never thought about opening my Bible. Like that wasn't it. It was just (laughs) all of the other voices for one moment, like surrendering to the truth that someone else was telling you. And that's what we still do. It is We aren't here to share anything new, everything, pretty much everything we need to know. Jesus already said, but we feel very called to remind you, we don't want to be louder. We don't want to be another voice. We want to elevate his voice. And what we do as sisters in Christ and as women who love each other and support each other is to take each other and say, Hey, listen, I need to turn your shoulders. You you lost sight a little bit. Let me turn your shoulders. Let me turn your shoulders. And that image, that picture is what it all started out as. And for me to this day, I would love to say I didn't need turned anymore. I would love to say nobody needed to grab you by the shoulders, but they do, but they do mm. sanctification, right? They do. And so that's, that's what it was for me. It was a, it was a voice that I needed.
1: And, and I think that's one of the things that I, I just appreciate about y'all. And this is really exemplary of y'all's whole community is yes you're writers and teachers but you are equally practitioners and so it's so cool like our audience is impact driven leaders and that's who we work with and I truly believe like that's what y'all are in so many ways. It's like you are people that, yes, you write and teach about this stuff, but you're also able to write and teach about this stuff because you do this stuff. And then not only that, because of this incredible community that is now been built, y'all get a front row seat to seeing the themes playing out in the lives of literally hundreds of women. And then it's like you wrote this book that's just kind of a compilation of the things that everyone's working on and struggling with. And I just keep I'm just like, why is it called She Works His Way? Because this is not just for <laughs> like I, I was reading this book I was like why are they only addressing her I want to be addressed this is for me this isn't for her right uh, but uh, like it's just universally applicable principles and and that's what I want us to dive into today so I like the first one that I'd want to start with and and I'd love to know how this plays out in y'all's individual entrepreneurial journey and also just how you see this playing out in the people you work with is that topic of freedom. Because one of the things that I've learned just in starting my business over the course of the past year is to use the word you use, Summer, like we can idolize that idea or that image of entrepreneurship today because we think that entrepreneurship is the key to freedom I'm just gonna leave it there, and I want to know like what is it what are y'all's thoughts on that as a concept, and second, do y'all even see that showing up as a potential idol, this connection of entrepreneurship to freedom?
0: Ooh, I see a lot of it <laughs> and i I don't think that it's necessarily always rooted in someone that wants to bring harm or to bring someone else down, but when we get tunnel vision to see ourselves first and our dreams and our role, and we don't sit back to see the bigger scope of what God is doing and to see others before we see ourselves, then it becomes a lot easier for us to elevate our own importance. And so, for example, I was in network marketing. And so there was a lot of recruiting that was done inside network marketing. And a big way that a lot of people promote their network marketing business is through the freedom that exists in their schedules to be able to work when they want to, how they want to, the hours that they want to, from where they want to work, which is common in entrepreneurs. But not every vocation comes with that level of flexibility. A doctor has an office or a hospital. A teacher has a classroom. A police officer has a shift in and a, and a jurisdiction. And I'm so, just
1: getting this image of a heart surgeon on the beach doing heart surgery from Cancun. Right? It's like, that doesn't work as well, does it?
0: it? It doesn't. And it's also, like, it's we need surgeons. We need teachers. We need nurses. We need office workers. We need government employees. Like, we need everybody to, to do their job and to do their place. And we don't need everybody to decide to be an entrepreneur so that they can have freedom. And so sometimes when it comes across, like this is the best because I have this freedom, then we end up flaunting something that God gave us that someone else, the assignment that he's given them, that may not be a possibility for them And so if we constantly put ourselves in a position where we're thinking God first and others next, then we'll see the people that are in those positions that don't have the same freedom that we do. And instead of feeling sorry for them or feeling really good about ourselves, we'll be really grateful that they choose to do that and that they allow themselves to, to show up in a job every day where they maybe don't get some of the perks of entrepreneurship, but seeing ourselves as a, as a unit connected, you know, God uses the analogy of how we are, the believers are a body and we each have a part. So we have a, a job to do, a role to play, but it doesn't make any of the parts more important. And so I think That the greatest freedom that we have as believers is to know that we are part of something that is so much bigger than ourselves that we can't do alone, but together to look at in different places scattered across other organizations and not just across the top of all organizations, but filtered all throughout the organization at all levels of the ladder and saying, I'm going to show up in this position that God has given me to do my part that is such a bigger picture of freedom than being on a yacht on a Tuesday because I can. Mm.
1: (laughs) I love that you do the same thing in the book, like yacht on a Tuesday is like your go-to example for that picture. I was stealing
0: Summer's words.
1: Okay, that's right. That was Summer that wrote that section. Okay, but, but to that point, Like, and I've even experienced this in my own life and I would be interested to know if y'all have experienced with regard to the work y'all do as well. Like just because I have quote unquote freedom or just because I have what the world would refer to as freedom or what Instagram looks at as freedom, that- does nothing with regard to me experiencing freedom. And, and I've been thinking that for a while, like there's a difference between having freedom and experiencing it. And I haven't honestly been able to put more words to that. So I'd love to know, do y'all have thoughts on like, what is what does that mean as a reality? The difference between having freedom and experiencing it.
2: Mm. If freedom is your goal, you're going to be handcuffed to the pursuit of freedom, which isn't freeing, at all, mm. and I think that's <laughs> the that could be line. a whole
1: episode right there. Summer, what on earth? <laughs> I told you,
2: <laughs> tries me bananas. Tries me bananas. Yeah. But this this pursuit of this thing is, in and of itself, another thing that's keeping us from being able to experience this thing. And so, I think as believers, we're going to come from that perspective because it's who we are. Freedom for us looks differently, and the pursuit of freedom is not necessarily an issue. I'll give you an example. My husband and I—all of your money and your financial advisors—are not going to like this at all. Just warning: this is a trigger warning. If you are a financial <laughs> advisor, I
1: don't work it. I don't work for Dave Ramsey anymore. You're good, Summer. You don't need to give any warnings anymore. You're fine.
2: Okay. Oh my gosh. So, Kent and I felt very called to just rent. It was our way of surrendering and being available for what the Lord had next for us. We had purchased and owned homes, and then when we moved, the first time we moved, from there on, we just felt like that was what God was asking us to do. And it has served us so well ever since. The freedom that that decision brought so that we could pick up and run when Jesus said go, so that we didn't have the thing that was holding us back, the maintenance, the whatever, the generosity we were able to do, even though it's not long-term investment, but short-term generosity. All of those things equaled the freedom we needed to do what we needed to do. So if your goal is freedom, I don't want to bash that. I just want to say why, why? If your goal is freedom so that you can do ministry better so that you can step into who God's called you to more than yes. And amen, freedom, go for it, pursue it. But if your goal for freedom is freedom, refer back to the last comment I made. You're just handcuffed (laughs) to the pursuit of of freedom.
1: Yeah. Oh, that, and I I love that too, because, it's way more nuanced than what is marketable, right? Because marketable says yacht equals freedom. This says for one person, a yacht may be freedom because it may be what they're called to do. And they're supposed to like host people on that yacht or use that yacht for generosity purposes, or maybe even just for their own family. And then for another person, maybe you're supposed to rent a house, right? And and maybe other people are supposed to own a home, yes. right? And so it's like, it's way yes. more nuanced and, it, and it's more, are you doing what God said? Like, are you doing what he said? Because there's freedom in doing what God said, not just in you doing what you want is yes. what it feels like you are saying.
0: Amen. Yes. And there's there's no formula for what that is supposed to look like. If you look at throughout scripture, you have so many different people from different situations that were called to do different things. It didn't always look the same. Even if you look at how Jesus healed, like there's multiple healings of people. And it sometimes it was go dip seven times in this river. Other times he picked up mud and he put it over eyes. He he didn't do it the same way. And I think he has that kind of freedom to move in us, to give us different assignments so that he can reach more and so that we don't end up worshiping the method or the place more than we end up worshiping him and who he is.
1: So what happens when we are operating from the mindset of, I want to do what God has for me and what he's telling me to do, because I think that's where freedom comes from. And what we experience as a result of that mindset is not freedom, it's indecision because we're like okay i'm going to do what god says and then it says what do you say god and then it's like i don't i don't know what he's saying i don't know what he's telling me to do right like do i do i buy the yacht do i rent a house do i buy a house where do i <laughs> i mean th- this is this is literally my experience right now because i had this recognition a year in entrepreneurship that it was like oh my gosh i could literally live wherever i wanted and up to that point, it was like, I went a year not even realizing that was the case. And then it was like, oh, my gosh, I could literally do this from anywhere. And you think being able to live anywhere is a really cool thing until you realize, oh, my gosh, I can live anywhere, but I can't live everywhere. And that means I have to choose somewhere. And it's like, what do I do with that? So so this is a personal question that other people may get benefit from. But it's like you want to attend to what God has for you. And at the same time, you need to be bold and confident in making a decision. How do y'all process that?
0: She's the simplifier. So I want her to do what she always does in these moments, because I can't tell you how many times I've had a question like that, that felt complicated with a lot of options to me, and then she simplified it.
2: It all comes down to truly understanding. I think this is this is what, what I believe and this is how I've had to walk through. And it comes from a place of I've been there. That exact question I have absolutely had. Okay, so I understand do what God's called me to do and ask him for what's next. And so then I sit around and I'm asking him for what's next. And typically what ends up happening is I neglect where I'm at. And where I'm at is not only where I'm supposed to be and serve and do and love, but it also probably has a pretty good hint for what is to come as well. So when I neglect exactly where I am and I focus on where I could be, I, get, I, I make it more confusing than it actually is. God is not trying to hide where we're supposed to be or what we're supposed to do. What benefit would that be to anyone? If it feels confusing, it's probably because He wants you to lean in on Him more. That would be the only benefit to it being a little bit hard to understand here in the beginning is for you just to lean in. So in terms of What it is we're supposed to do, I always go back to what is my purpose. My purpose is to be more like Jesus. Okay? So if that's my purpose, and scripture tells me that, that's not my idea, my opinion, or whatever. The world will tell you to go take a time out, meditate, think about what sparks joy, what you love, your gift sets, and I am not bashing any of that. But that's how they will tell you to go and discover your purpose, when in fact, scripture has already told us our purpose is to become more like Jesus. Every single day. In pursuing our purpose, which is to be more like Jesus every single day, our calling comes in. Because wherever we are becoming more like Jesus, that is where we're called. That is what is happening. That is the movement that is taking place in our lives. So a lot of times we get confused with purpose and calling because we think calling is this big umbrella thing that we're supposed to do. But my calling today and my calling tomorrow might be completely different. It's wherever I'm looking more like Jesus today tomorrow and the next day. Who am I becoming more like? If it's Jesus, then that is where I'm called to in that moment. So moving through that and understanding God is there flinging doors open or slamming doors shut. He's laying out opportunity or he's not giving you what you asked for. And instead of sitting and going, just tell me what's next, show me what's next. Open a door. Mm. And what I typically do just here in our home, when opportunity comes because i have a 19 and a 21 year old both my girls are young adults they are at the edge of opportunity in every possible way so how do they know what to walk through the best way we've been able to describe it is in walking in the spirit right galatians In walking in the spirit you will become more intimate with god so going to him daily just because you love him, not because you need anything, just because you love him, okay? In getting to know him better, these things will come up, opportunities, doors. What do you do with those things? Do you pray about them before you walk through an open door? No, you walk and then you ask him to slam it shut if you're not supposed to. I just think we overcomplicate it. We're waiting for a voice. We're waiting for a detail. We're waiting for information when everything we need is right here in this moment right now. And when we're walking with Jesus, when we're becoming more like Him, we can't mess it up. We're not bad enough to mess it up. We're not good enough to get it right. So it's like (laughs) this freedom of just sitting right here going, my focus is to be more like Jesus. How? By talking to him more, okay, that's it. There's my there's my to do list. What happens happens. It's like a hippie Christian. That's the definition.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I mean, it's pretty it's pretty remarkable. Like if Jesus were alive today, we might call him a hippie Christian. I In reality, it. it's like no, he's just a Christian. Like right. that's just what a great. It's like that's what he actually is. You know. Oh, that's so helpful. Okay, Michelle, I'd love for you to go. Uh, Maybe just a little bit even more specific on an example related to that topic. We work with a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs that are characterized by the fact that they, in some ways, they did what they set out to do. And I mean, some of them are as early as in their 30s. Some of them are up to their 50s and 60s. And they built a business that not only is it in serving their community, not only is it serving team members and their families and they're employing people, not only is it creating a great product or service, but it's been largely operationalized so that the struggle that they previously engaged in to get it to that point it's no longer there. And so now they have all this time on their hands. Now, this isn't every entrepreneurial story. Some, some people are like, well, that sounds nice, right? But there are some that have reached this and they're like, well, what do I do now? And, and they're asking that question, what would you say to that person that's in that situation that has that freedom of opportunity? How do they seize that in a way that is God-honoring?
0: Right, so so often I think we can put our identity in inferior sources, and our accomplishments, our titles, none of which are bad. We talk about it all the time. We are never going to success shame you. Mm. But if you put your identity in that, then it's going to limit you to think that your impact and influence is over when you pass the baton of your company, when truthfully, your identity your purpose, the reason why you're here has absolutely nothing to do with your accomplishments. Our identity is wrapped up in what Jesus has done for us. And because of what Jesus has done, that is our motivation to move forward, to do things for his glory and for the good of other people. It's not because there's a title or a perk or an increase at the end of it. And so in the book, one of the chapters, we talk about this idea of serving over leading. And the structure of the way the chapters are, it's not that anything on the bottom rung is bad. It's not bad to lead. But if the goal is to lead... That's when it can create some tension, especially when, when you pass down on the company if the leadership title isn't there anymore. But if while you were leading your company, the goal was never to lead, leadership was a result, but the goal was to serve. Then when you step down and when you move into another season, your goal, your aspiration, your ambition, your burdens, none of those have to change. Because no matter where you are, no matter what title you possess, you can still serve. And so I think so often as we go throughout our careers and we start racking up these accolades and these accomplishments and these titles, when those things happen, because often what happens is as your competence increases, your dependence on the Lord Mm. can decrease as your competence increases. And so the goal throughout our career needs to be, hey, listen, there's nothing wrong with your competence increasing. I'm not telling you to go about your life and try to be dumber. Let your competence increase, but with your competence increasing, allow your dependence on God to increase with it. Because you have limits, He doesn't. And if you will keep your competence high and your dependence on Him high, You're always going to be able to accomplish more for the kingdom because, in your competence, you're going to be limited by what you can do. And by your dependence, you're going to be dependent on what God can do, which is infinitely more than we can do. And so, if you find yourself in that season, step back and ask yourself what has God done and what has God given me in my life? And now, how do I use that for His glory and for other people? and give him complete freedom. Give him no other secondary conditions of you have to do it in this way, in this time, with these stipulations, with this group of people. You really have complete open hands and beg him to move in a new way because that's what God does. Mm. He says that he will make streams in the deserts and he will make a path in the wilderness. He is always doing something new. The question is, Are we going to stay stuck in the same or are we going to go into the new where he's going?
1: Gosh, there's, there's two things in there that I want to hit on. You kind of alluded to that idea that, and, and I think anyone that is wired as a leader and wired as a growth oriented individual probably struggles with the idea of work being equated to worth. And I saw this graphic literally this morning. So what you said made me think of this. I saw this graphic this morning and I I had a feeling, I was like, I feel like Michelle would probably get fired up about this, <laughs> but <I'm> not <laughs> positive. So. although it's not that hard to get Michelle fired up. So I feel like it's True a pretty story. good bet, right? True story. <laughs> but it was this Venn diagram. It was like the two circles, it was two circles, and they were almost completely overlapped, right? It was like like what the world tells us. Work and worth. And the two circles were like on top of each other, right? And so it was basically saying like the world tells us it's all the same thing. And then it said, what is true? And I was like, oh, this is great. And it didn't have what I anticipated it to have. It had the same two circles, work and worth. And there was a little area of overlap, right? Where they were kind of overlapped. And I sat there and I thought I was like, I don't know if I believe that or not. Like I, I, and, it, and it was super small. It was super small where they were overlapped, but, but they were still overlapped. What are your thoughts on that? Like this idea of work and worth and how they connect to each other?
0: I mean, as a believer, what's most important is that we recognize that our worth is wrapped up in what Jesus has done. It's not in what we can do. What we do is a response to what Jesus has done. And if we think for one second that that is less significant, then we need to step back and we need to preach the gospel to ourselves again. Because understanding that we cannot, some are already said it, of you can't be bad enough to make it, mess it up and you can't be good enough to earn it. And the truth is that Jesus died for us and gave his life for us and made a way for us to get to God anyway. Hmm. we are worth what Jesus has done, which is he laid down his life for each of us, even though we didn't deserve it and there was nothing we could do to deserve it. And it's this whole idea, I admit in the first chapter, of how I have always been an approval junkie. Approval was the reason why I wanted boys' attention when I was younger. It was why I wanted good grades when I was in college. It was why I had an eating disorder because I wanted attention. It was why without the appropriate guardrails, well, I can even now be a workaholic because of approval. But instead of seeking all of that, it changes everything when you really think about the fact that I am approved because Mm -hmm. Jesus earned my approval. And it has nothing to do with what I've done, but what he's done.
1: That's so powerful and so well communicated too. And it was a, it was a reminder for me and even hearing you talk there, like – if you're listening to this, you do not have to believe what we believe, and that's okay. And we're so grateful to you for listening. And at the same time, we're not going to uh, ignore what we believe. And if you do believe what we believe, then recognize that there's a lot of stuff in the world that says, this is what the world tells you, and this is what's true. And the thing that they're saying is true is still wrong, right? Like, that's what caught me is like, it's like this graphic that they said, the truth. And it's like, oh, this is going to be a great post. And it was like, no, <laughs> so missed the truth. It's so missed it. And and I I in summer it seems kind of like that this is part of kind of what this book does too a little bit is like y'all are constantly combating the messages that are perceived as true for what you believe is actually true is that fair to say
2: one hundred percent and I think our biggest something I just want people to know is we are not trying to make an enemy of culture we are not trying to bash buzzwords or the newest way to be successful or any of that. We've been trapped by it ourselves. We understand, but for the most part, there are so many good intentions into the way these things begin, into the way they have been created to be. For me, I think we just have to remember that culture now, it's, it's not the blatant lies that are so scary, you saw it today. You read one of them today. That picture. That was a a, a half truth. That was a like something's not setting right here with me. Something's not settling. Those are the things that we have to remind each other of. Those are the things that we have to call to light. The little things that are good but maybe not god. The things that are happiness but not fulfilling and joyful. Like the difference in what the world hands us and what God wants for us, being able to identify those and not feel like a crazy person takes other people in your corner to help you identify those things. Right? That's why you just asked Michelle that question. Please tell me I'm not crazy for seeing this different. Right? Please tell <laughs> me that this is. And we have that in each other. That's what she works his way exist for. And I think for me, that is one of the most powerful tools and the powerful things. It, culture does lie, but culture is also created by people. So sometimes we think about culture as like this thing that we have to destroy and tear down, but it's people. It's broken people. We're all broken. We're all messed up. We all have issues. And so we're creating this thing that we think is making it better, but apart from God, apart from a biblical foundation, apart from a gospel-centered truth, it's never going to be fully right. It's never going to be fully good. It's never going to be fully true. So we have to remember that. We have to keep that in mind.
1: Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I've noticed just kind of in stepping to the world that we operate in as a business over the course of the past year and a half is the growth world, right? And growth is in our name. And so it's not super surprising that we coincide with a lot of very growth-oriented people. And in talking to a lot of growth-oriented people and thinking about the topic of growth every single day, one of the phrases that I've started to recognize a lot that a lot of people say as a positive thing is they will say something to the effect of, oh, I'm just never content. I'm just always growing. I'm always moving forward, always trying to be a little bit better than I was. And and the phrase they use is, I'm never content. And I think it's a language thing. I don't think they actually, like, I never want to be content. I'm just so afraid of ever being content. And I think what they're saying is, I don't want to be complacent, which I think is good. But one of the things that I've recognized is, holy cow, I don't think I fully understand what contentment actually means and looks like. And I think neither do we. And so I'd love to know from y'all on that topic, because I think it's tied into the, the original topic of freedom, mm-hmm. what is contentment? And first of all, should we be trying to avoid it? And, and second of all, like what, what is it and how do you actually describe it?
0: Mm. I mean, I would describe it how scripture describes it, which is that godliness with contentment is great gain. And then later, there is a very popular scripture that says, "I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me" in Philippians 4:13. But the verses before that, in 11 and 12, are about Paul saying how he has learned to live in all circumstances. He's learned how to live hungry and with much and cold, like and all of these things, and how he does all of those things is through Christ who strengthens them. So he literally relies on the same source when he's in scarcity and when he is in abundance. And so I think the biggest thing for us as believers first, that have also gotten into the business world, is we start to try to apply these growth principles that we learn in the business world and think that they apply everywhere. And so we start to believe, okay, well, in order for me to make more of Jesus, Then I need to have a bigger platform with more influence and have more money and have more customers and have all of these things. And listen, if God chooses to do that, fantastic. But in order for God to use you more, he does not need your business, your platform, your influence, your leadership, your checkbook, your whatever to grow. He needs your faith to grow. That is what he needs to grow in order to be able to use you more. That is it. So erase the growth principles from your brain of what you have to have. Because what we know is we know John three 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. That doesn't mean you need to increase to make Jesus increase. It actually means he increases and you decrease. And so Later on, in one of Paul's letters, he talks about how he watered and Apollos planted, but God gave the growth, Mm. and it's the exact same principle for us. Plant, water. Do you know what that means? Show up. Do it again, day after day. Plant, water, plant, water, plant, water, and God gives growth. Mm. That's his job. That's what he does. And I have seen it firsthand. Do you know what I do really badly? God's job.
1: <laughs> That's good. Yeah. I
0: am really, really bad at doing God's job.
1: That's not your seat on the bus. Huh? That's <laughs> it is right not.
0: That's not my seat on the bus. And so if I try to fixate myself on doing God's job, I am always going to feel like a failure and I'm always going to feel discontent. But when I am content to plant, when I am content to water, when I find joy in doing what my hands have found to do, in doing whatever I do for the glory of God, and I trust him to do his job, he is way more faithful than I am to do his job. Mm, That's good.
1: Summer, anything you'd add on that on the topic of contentment?
2: (laughs) It feels silly to try to add to that, I'll be honest with you. So (laughs) I'm going to tell you the practical side of things, just in case there's somebody listening right now that feels like I did. For me, I think I've always felt like if I didn't push myself, who will? I was someone who enjoyed being pushed. I was someone who enjoyed being like just challenged constantly. And so I couldn't let myself off the hook. So I was afraid of contentment because that would like make my edge less to, less edgy, right? I would be like, will that cut into my ambition? Will that slow me down? Because I got to go, go, go. So I was fearful of letting myself off the hook. It all became very much clear to me that my end goal was the problem, not my right now. So my contentment... fear. Being fearful of contentment because I was afraid it was going to do something to my ambition wasn't the problem. It was not understanding of the direction I was going and understanding that what I'm chasing and what I want to do is way bigger. I want to be more like Jesus back to that purpose thing. And then I'm going to be content in that journey, in that place of where I'm going. And the cool thing is, is that I can be content in that place and have God just challenging me and pushing me and making me uncomfortable. All of the things as an ambitious entrepreneur that I thought I could only give myself, all of a sudden I was like, oh my goodness, this is the Christian life. This is the adventure and becoming more like Jesus. This is an end goal being eternity and not just my quarterly bonus check. Like this is working. I am content and challenged. I am content and ambitious. I am content and I want more and it's okay. It worked. So I don't know if anybody else is like that, but I had to, I had to come back and realize it's it's not taking my edge off. To be okay and to be content.
1: Yeah, well, I can guarantee you there's at least one person that can relate (laughs) to it because it's it's me. And and I'm sure there's others as well. But like at that same time that I had that realization about contentment and that people were saying, Oh, I just never want to be content, one of the things that I started to pay attention to was I get to sit in this unique seat, kind of like y'all do, where I get to observe. A bunch of different leaders, hundreds of different leaders who are kind of all operating in their own individual path. And I get to kind of play this role of observer and be like, let's see what's working for people and what's not. And one of the things that's been really interesting is I've learned that some of the most goal oriented people I know are simultaneously some of the most miserable people that I know. And not all of them, certainly not all of them. There's some of the most goal oriented people I know that are some of the most joyful and life giving and overflow oriented, but a lot of them, they have big goals and they're absolutely miserable. And so I started to ask this question. I was like, Oh my gosh, like, if you want to truly be contentment and pursue Christ-centered contentment, does that mean you can't have goals? And I went through this whole like philosophical crisis of like, what is the theology of goal setting, and does the Bible say that Jim, Jim Collins is wrong for saying we need a hag? And, and then I was like, that's like business heresy to say a hag is wrong. Like, what am I thinking? And so it's still something that I'm working on that I wrestle with. So like, one of the things that I'm doing is I'm going to people that I really like and respect in this field and saying like what is the theology of goal setting? Like, what is the proper role of goals in the life of a person, a leader, and a business in such a way that it can coexist with contentment? And I'd love to know y'all's thoughts on that.
0: So, I mean, I think that I would tell you, like, I'm, I'm hesitant to give too much detail just because I think so much of goal setting and how you handle it depends on how you are wired. And there are so many of us that, goals could be detrimental for because if you have this whole idea of I'm going to make a plan and it can't be thwarted, like you don't have that kind of power. And so your, your plans might get disrupted or you may have to abandon your c- character principles and integrity to be able to reach the goal. And so you may be in a spot where goals aren't best for you. But then you may be in a spot where maybe there is a bent towards not contentment, but maybe a bent towards, I hate to use the word laziness because I don't know that, but for lack of a better word, I'm just going to say it. We're just going to say a bend towards laziness where goals could keep you in the right direction. The, The point is, what is driving you? And if your motivational force is the goal, then you're always going to be limited versus the driving force being God in your life and his power and moving towards. So if you, a lot of the New Testament language uses this whole idea of they made plans, but they like gave God room to move. And so they would use this phrase called if the Lord wills. So it was like, if the Lord (laughs) wills, we will go to such and such town and we will do this. And so it's literally living your life in such a way and setting goals in such a way that allows God to interrupt you, to move, to do this. But again, understanding if I'm operating and I want to operate in the kingdom fashion, then I'm not even going to be able to set goals that are the kind that God can accomplish. Because Isaiah 55 talks about his, his ways and his thoughts are abundantly higher than ours. And so I'm not even capable in my human mind, Ephesians, I think it's 320 tells us that he can do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. And so greatest visionaries, greatest dreamers, God can do more than that. And so in some sense, as we grow, like you, you let go of goals. If that, if you have more of a grip on the goal than you have on God, but in other ways, when you are walking with God, like, you start asking him to do stuff that you're not capable to do because you know he can. And even though you can't, it doesn't matter because you're aware that you have a different source and a different place of dependency. And so... A theology of goals is is hard to like nail down as far as like this is... <laughs> you mean
1: you weren't prepared for that question? <laughs>
0: well, I mean, I think it's going to look different for every person and for every season. And as long as you are willing to hold your goals with open hands before God and say, I want you more than I want this. So I'm going to lay it at your feet. And if you want to pick it up and run with it, run with it. And if you want to throw it in the trash, trash it.
1: Hmm. And I think what we're talking about there and some of your thoughts on this, too, I'd love to hear them. I think what we're talking about there is like being able to weigh whether or not a goal has become an idol. And that's certainly something that I am susceptible to and I am capable of. And I guess what I'd love to know from y'all is how, how do you evaluate whether or not something has become an idol? Like what are some of the red flags or check engine lights that you look for that says this thing has gotten way out of place? Do y'all have thoughts on that?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's how emotional you feel about it, how emotionally attached. And those emotions that we all want to avoid, jealousy, anger fear all of those things that creep up when they creep into the situation of what it is you very well may have taken a thing that surrendered to god is good and made it an idol that you put above jesus because idols will make you feel fearful they they just will there'll be this thing that you can look at and this thing that you can control until you no longer control them what is it that said, what we idolize, we eventually demonize. So the thing that we put up there and we say, that is the thing that I want. That is the thing that is best, that is that is right, that is good for me. And it becomes this thing that goes above Jesus. We will eventually hate that thing. We will eventually have, we will fill in bondage to that thing. It will become a burden. It will be the thing that we lose sleep over every night. In business, in entrepreneurship, in leading A lot can be told of how your day is and how you're living surrendered by the way you sleep at night. I truly believe that. I believe that when you lay down and you go to sleep, and I'm not saying that if you wake up in the middle of the night, you are running from the Lord and doing it all wrong. I'm just saying if there's a a constant burden, a feeling of maybe you wake up in the morning angry or you wake up jealous or you have just this unsettling of things when you go to lay down at night. Sometimes that could be Jesus moving you into another direction, but I would just say you really need to look deep inside and make sure that you haven't elevated something above God that shouldn't go above God. And in terms of these goals, I have like, I'm like you, goals are not necessarily good for me because come hell or high water, we're, we're going to make it happen if I write it down, right? Like, I just try very, very hard. I'm a bit of a free spirit and I don't like a plan. So I don't know why I thought goals would ever be right for me. However, (laughs) I was told I should have them. What I've learned is that my daily goal has to weigh more than my five-year goal or my 10-year goal or my 15-year goal. I can have the goals, but my today has to weigh more then tomorrow, and then the future. I believe that scripture backs us up in that. And I believe that's the only way we can stay focused on exactly what we're supposed to be doing without trying to go around what God has for us or without trying to manipulate a situation to be what it needs to be or to idolize something.
1: Yeah, the the phrase that we've grown really uh, fond of around our team is the phrase, practice healthy growth. Mm-hmm. And it's that word practice. So it's good. like today... Today is not the game. Today is just practice mm-hmm. and we're just planting seeds and that's what I can control today. And that's been so life-giving for me just because it's like I'm going to plant seeds today and that's what I'm going to do and and that's success. And if we hit the three-year plan, that's golden. But what will matter more is did we plant the right seeds, yes. you know? And Amen. it's like the three-year plan, I feel like more directs my – I haven't thought about it this way until you said that, Summer, but the three-year plan directs my prayers more than anything. like It's like my actions are going to be the same regardless today because it's what I'm supposed to do today. And the three-year like desires and dreams and all that, that's more directing my prayers, it seems
2: like. Mm. Yes. That was a good way to put it. Yes. Mm -hmm.
1: So I think related to that idea of practicing healthy growth, one of the chapters in the book is about relationships. And as I was kind of going through that chapter and what y'all write about in that chapter, I, I couldn't... Uh, stop thinking about um, a conversation that we had at one of our in-person retreats that we just did. It, I'll never forget it. We we sat around outside. Everyone took their chairs outside and it was in Colorado. So like you could see Pike's Peak in the background and everything. It was just an incredible circle of about 20 people. And the conversation became very open and real and transparent. But it wasn't about business strategy. It It was just about honestly, life. I wouldn't even say it was about leadership. It was just about life. And I was so grateful for how vulnerable uh, people were there because one of the common topics was one that I could deeply relate to, which was that I'm starting to think that if you're in leadership and you have all of these responsibilities, it's not possible to have actual adult friends that share your values. And, And that was that was actually like a legitimate belief. Like, and there were people that literally said like, I don't think you understand. Like I have kids and like, we've got a lot of responsibilities and we've got the business going on and we got to make sure we're attending to that. And there's just so much going on. And, and, and you don't know the people where we live and stuff like that. And so I just, I don't think you understand. It's just not possible for us to, to have adult friends. And, and then it was like, well, maybe we should just move to where you live and we could just be friends with you. It's like, that's so sweet, but I don't think that's the answer, you know? And, so I'd love for us to go as elementary as possible. Adult friendships that are value-based and healthy and life-giving. Number one, why are they so important? Why are they essential? And then number two, like how, how, how do you do that? Because I think it's a little bit of a lost art.
0: <laughs> oh, I mean, people are the point. And if people are never around – They can't be the point. And so I think it is a lie that we tell ourselves that leadership is lonely, that entrepreneurship is lonely, that, I mean, motherhood is lonely, like that you can put insert any word in here. And I think that that lie is out there. But if you really stop to think about it, in Genesis, everything is good until God notices that there's a problem. And the problem that he notices is that Adam is alone. And that's the first time God says, it is not good. Hmm. And so the first problem that God ever noticed was that Adam was alone. And he fixed it by giving him Eve. And all throughout Scripture, we are not told as believers that we will be known because we are the best, that we are perfect, that we are without sin. We are told that we will be known by our love and that we are known by our unity. And love and unity are two things that you can't do outside of community. You've got to have more than one person for unity and you've got to have more than one person for there to be love on display. And so the two things that we are supposed to be known by require that we live in relationships with other people. And you need it just as much as anybody else. It doesn't matter how competent you are or how much you have accomplished. This is one of the things that we talk about in the book. And again, we're not trying to go after and make an enemy of everything that's ever been taught. But one of the things that you will quickly learn if you get into any business circles is that, you know, never be the smartest person in the room. And that sounds really good because it's challenging us that we are supposed to constantly try to be in rooms where we have people that we can learn from. But as believers, I think that it's terrible for us to believe that there's a room that we could possibly be in that we couldn't learn anything in.
1: Well, and, and then also, let's think about the problem that creates. It means either I, I shouldn't be growing – Or I have to trade friends every three years because I'm growing at such a degree that I become, and it's like, that's a, that's a horrible way to live life. Horrible. But again, it's advice that we look at and we say, oh, that's good advice. Never be the smartest person there. And I get, like you're saying, like, I get the point, but it's like, if you actually play that out, it's not a good strategy.
0: No. And if, I mean, just look at, look at the disciples. They had nothing in
1: common. <laughs> yeah. It was a pretty motley crew.
0: <laughs> Nothing in common. Like you had a basically like you had a tax collector who would have been a Roman government official and then you had a zealot which was the uh, overthrow the government guy. <laughs> and both of them are literally two followers of Jesus. <laughs> Can you imagine the conversations that spirited ones that <laughs> that happened in that group? But what they had in common was that they were following Jesus and that was enough to keep them unified. And that was enough to keep them moving in the same direction. And they didn't have to have everything in common or, you know, again, it's just relationships are so much easier than, than we make them because every person that you meet is an image bearer of God, which means you're more alike than you're not. They have extreme value. They have something to offer. And God loves all of us the same. And so there's no one that you should be able to come in contact with that you can't see this is an image bearer that that God loves and and find some common ground.
1: Mm. One of the things that I've learned, and and some are I'd love to get hyper practical with you here. Like one of the things that I've learned is that I kind of have to reframe my uh idea of success with regard to, quote unquote, like hanging out or spending time with people because, and this is our community too. Our community at Path for Growth is filled with some of the most intentional people that I know. Mm. And one of the things that I know just from striving to be an intentional person is that sometimes the thing that will keep you from being present is the fact that you're so freaking intentional, right? Like (laughs) you try, you're like, okay, well, we're going to have a dinner party and here's my agenda and here's what I want to accomplish, and. here's what I want to learn. And these are the questions that I'm going to ask. And then I want to make sure I give you about five minutes to ask your questions. It's like, (laughs) And it's like, that's the definition of success is how intentional were we? Mm -hmm. I'd love to know like, what is a healthier definition of success for spending time with people in a non-work
2: setting? I think it's being intentional about margin more than you are the agenda. So if we build in space for people, instead of building people into our space, we're going to see ourselves build relationships in places where we need them, where they need them. It's gonna be these divine appointments that are supposed to be happening. It's gonna be people that are brought into our lives because they're bringing good. It's gonna be us becoming a part of other people's lives for the same reason. I think what I'm so saddened by, and you're getting perspectives here with Michelle and I, I'm I'm a hardcore introvert. So years ago, I would have told you I didn't need people as much as everybody told me I needed people. And that was a lie. That was not true at all. I just needed a different level. I just needed a different amount. I just needed a different space for them. We all have to have it. It's all important. But being so intentional, it's like in marriage when you're like, okay, my marriage is suffering. So we need to schedule a date night. We need to say three things we love about each other, three things that bothered us yesterday. We need to bring it all on the table. I need to wear this. I need to do this. He needs to cook this. We need to, and it becomes this robotic thing. And we're like, oh, I really hope this makes us more intimate. I really hope this makes us love each other better. And we've just, we've scheduled, we've made marriage a job. The world we live in, we are so connected In a way that is so false, the connections that we have are virtual. They're online. They're seeing a picture. They're not making a contact. They're seeing a contact. And so that becomes our, this is what we have. This is what we have space for. When in fact, those are not relationships. I mean, we can listen our She Works His Way started on Google Hangout. We told you that earlier. We didn't live in the same place, but we made intentional time and space for each other to come together. I just wonder if, as a society, we're really getting it wrong thinking that we don't have time for people and for friendship because we are so overwhelmed by. All of the people, all of the faces, all of the noise, all of the opportunity information, and everything else. It seems to be so much more complicated now than what it used to be. I think the only way to combat that is to go back to your calendars and your schedules and to leave space, leave margin. And then just sometimes people will fill that. And sometimes you'll just need a break on the couch, depending on the kind of person you are but I I just got to think like the intentionality isn't in the moment with people. It's in the making space for the people. Mm.
1: Mm. Yeah. And I I think to a degree that's kind of lost. And I, and I, one of the things that we came to at the retreat that one of our members said that I thought was so powerful is like, you need to recognize if you're struggling with this, the people around you are probably struggling with this too. And everyone's looking around for who's going to be a leader and to use the language from the book, who's going to be a servant and who's going to maybe be a little bit vulnerable to put themselves out there and say like, uh, let's do something. Let's have a real connection, right? Uh, That's so good. Before we close out, I would love to know from y'all if there's someone listening to this that says, okay, like I'm bought into this idea of, my relationship with Jesus is not a piece of the pie with regard to my business and even my life. Like it is the whole thing. And I'm trying to submit, like submit everything I do to that. And now they're just looking for like, okay, that's an internal decision, but now what do I do with that? Like, how do I start doing that? I would love for y'all's either encouragement or challenge to that person out of this podcast.
0: Mm. I thought of two things quickly. And the first one is just like, I just want you to be overwhelmed with how much God loves you because I already went on a tangent. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to go there again, but just, he went to great lengths to demonstrate his love for all of us, but also for, for you. And so the, don't let the, all of us get lost in the fact that that was intentionally for you. And so steps back toward him of, Prayer, opening your Bible, begging him to speak, to show himself to you, to reveal himself to you, having those intentional moments with him. But then also, second, like get yourself to a local church as quickly as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. Um, Summer and I, and we say all the time, like we love what we do at She Works His Way. We love the women that we get to connect with, but we know that when it comes to community, the local church is God's plan A. And we look at what we do and what we offer as a community as like a vitamin. It's like a supplement, what you take for optimal health. But it's not food. It's not what you need on a regular basis. It is the supplement that you take for optimal health. And so get plugged in to a local church where you can know, be known, serve, show up, because church is a lot more than just hearing a sermon, Church is a place where you come, belong, you're known, you link arms, you do all of these things together. And a lot of the times relationally, I think being more plugged in and more involved in a local church body where you automatically know that when I walk in, we have this bigger connecting piece that is so much more unifying than anything that could possibly divide us. That's the great place to go to solve the relational issue, but then also to just be reminded And to have partners of being the hands and feet of Jesus right there where you live. Mm.
1: Mm. Summer, how about you? What would be your encouragement or challenge?
2: Practice loosening your grip. Mm. You Mm. are going to want to just let go of it all, or you're going to think that that's what it looks like. And it is ultimately, but we are human and God knows that. And he has grace for us. And so it will be a practice, and it will be a moment-to-moment moment. surrender is the churchy word to say it, but like the really practical way for us to tell you to do this is to like open up your hands, open up your hands, and practice releasing control. And the first place that you'll feel the relief is in your heart and in your head. In your heart and in your head, when you go, you know what? He's got this. He's gone before me. This is all as it should be. I'm not bad enough to mess it up. I'm not good enough to make it right. So I might as well just sit at his feet and do what it is he's called me to do using my gifts and ability with a loose grip. Mm.
1: So good. Well, this is literally just a sample of kind of the overarching message that is in the book. She works his way. Uh, What I would say is uh, if you're a guy that's listening to this, you need to buy this book for the women in your life, and then just give it to them a couple weeks later, so that you have <laughs> time to read it. Um, because there's so much that's good in here, and, and seriously, like we're going to be buying one for Kelly on our team, and for Olivia on our team, and there's people in my life that I'm like, I've got my Christmas presents for the uh, for for the women, the women that I work with, and the women that I'm friends with, and, and that are in my family. And so I'm I'm so excited to share this book because I think it's so good, it rings so true, and it's so practical and so helpful. Um, and then if you are a woman, you've got to get this book. You have to get this book. It's just so well written, so well done, and so relevant to what so many of us are hearing today. com slash book is where they can go to get that. Is that correct? That's right. Awesome. Very cool. Well, before we close out, I would love to do something uh, that's related to the book, kind of, that we haven't done on this podcast before. But one of the things that I thought was so cool is you close every chapter with a prayer. And I think I sent y'all a text just to ask y'all to choose one that you felt would be especially appropriate to close out our time together today. And I would just challenge you that uh, if you're listening to this podcast in the car, maybe pull over uh, and don't <laughs> just do the prayer while you're driving, but but pull over and, and just take some time to actually be still. For a second, and if you're running, maybe stop your run for a second, and and let's actually pray. Let's not just listen to a prayer. Let's actually pray. Uh, so, Michelle, I'm going to give it to you. Uh, set it up a little bit, and then give us the prayer.
0: So, this is just called a prayer before you read. And so, in the first chapter, Summer and I give a little bit of the story and the background of what led us up to this community. And so, it's just this idea of we landed on the topic of surrender. And so if you want to know what does that look like, how does that start, this is a a pretty good place to begin. So (laughs) let's pray. Father, I come to you and confess that it is all too easy to live my life as a simultaneous attempt to be all that you created me to be and all the world expects me to be. In Jesus' name, I ask for your help to live my decision that the dual pursuit ends today. I'm trading life balance for full surrender. I want to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. I trust that you will provide everything else. Position my heart to hear from you. Help me to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Give me discernment why when I encounter half truths and blatant lies. Do not allow me to be satisfied by counterfeit claims. God keep me desperately dependent on you. Make me relentless in the pursuit of my family's hearts. Give me open eyes to remain effective in my work. And daily, give me opportunities to live out my commitment to the gospel. Reveal to me any idols that have taken your place. And don't merely reduce my affection for them, Lord, but replace my affection for them with an unquenchable desire for you. Set my mind on things above, not earthly things. As I'm reading pages in this book, I'm begging you to speak to me, God. Convict me and correct me. Encourage me and equip me. Show me and shape me. Change me and use me. I'm all in for your kingdom cause. Soften my heart. Open my eyes. Give me willing hands. My life is yours. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I'm picking up my cross and following you today and every day after. I love you, and I trust you. Amen.
1: Amen. One of our core values at Path for Growth is point to Jesus, and it's our first core value, and uh, I think that's why I just consider y'all people that I deeply respect and admire and also friends of myself and our organization is because y'all just do that so well. So Mm -hmm. thanks for your time today, Uh, and we're so excited to share this with people. Thanks, y'all.
0: Thank you. Thanks, Alex.
1: Well, I'm so grateful uh, to both Michelle and Summer uh, for their perspective and for the way that they passionately communicate truth in a way that is incredibly powerful, outrageously applicable, but in no way compromises the substance of what God said. Their example is just so um, helpful for myself, and I hope it is for you as well. If you want to get the book, truly what I said in the conversation absolutely rings true. It's, It's a powerful guide, whether you're a woman or a man, for leading effectively in the home and at work, and I would absolutely recommend it. We're going to put the link to that in the show notes. Hey, Also, if you want to stay in touch with everything we're doing at Path for Growth, uh, we send out an email every Wednesday. I personally hate email. I think most email isn't worth it. It's not worth your time. It's not worth your energy. So We said, okay, we're going to set out to create one email a week that actually is. So Every week, every Wednesday, we send a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. If you want to get on that list, uh, if you want to be a part of that growing community, the link to sign up for Worth It Wednesday is in the show notes of this episode. Y'all, we're grateful for you. We're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.